welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 241. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And here we are, back. That's a Monday. We just ventured through suburban Pennsylvania traffic. Yes, we both struggled in that. Um, By the way, we were talking in Facebook Live before we came on. For those of you who are listening to this um, by memory, hopefully a lot more than are listening now in Facebook Live. (laughs) But we are going to be broadcasting live Two weeks from tomorrow, an election night, and we haven't decided what time, maybe, I don't know. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock-ish. And we are looking for correspondence from key states across time zones. So we already have our California correspondent, our voiceover man, Jeffrey Carter. Uh, I think Texas, so uh, some of our Texas Texas listeners, we certainly are going to want. Um, Florida, Georgia, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. So some of those key states, we're definitely going to be uh, looking at it and hopefully we'll be a little happier or a little, a little more optimistic for this election than we were two years ago. Yes. I, yes. Hopefully. And we, I don't think we're going to drink live this year. We might. We might. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> or we'll broadcast from Canada and we'll do something yeah, else exactly, live. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. So let me ask you this question. Yeah. So did you hear that there were. There was a guy, 72-year-old guy in India, killed by monkeys. That there was a bunch of monkeys like th- for, from a tree that threw rocks and killed the guy. Oh, well, no, monkeys can do that. Yeah, and it's, the people were like, we want justice. You know, we want, they went, they wanted to file the police report, like, we want, we want justice. And the police are like, we can't really file a complaint against it's monkeys. Just, just go shoot the monkey. I mean, what, what, the, what, or you know what? If, but if, what? Get, which monkey was it? But you could put it on an electric chair, and then you could shock the monkey. Yeah, shock the monkey. I mean, but that. I mean, what? I mean, what could you? I mean, could you? Can't even ID which monkeys it were. It what? You know, which well, did it? Well, you could do a DNA test. I don't know. Well, that sounds like something. You know? Yeah, that's 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 something. I, I think of all the problems in India. Monkey justice would not be one of my well, top ten. Well, if I was the monkey, I would. That would my defense is I'm just a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> right, find the organ grinder. He's a real I, culprit. I, I, I plead underdeveloped mammal. I mean, come on, like it's yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a very all right. You know, give you could say, come back in a couple. You know, come back in fifty million years, and I'll be more evolved. I yeah, could talk this, to you then. Although this is maybe the beginning of Planet of the Apes. Like, I like this. It. Is very. So. Although if I were the Saudis, that's what I'd say. It was these damn monkeys. Right? <laughs> so they ones in India. Was, we were overrun by monkeys. They dismembered the guy. That's right. I hear Trump now is saying it uh, apparently was a suicide, that the man <laughs> accidentally killed himself and then cut himself in pieces. Uh, the, I'll tell you, Trump should get onto this monkey story because I think that's a good one. Yeah. Blame the monkeys. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Oh, by the way, I, I like that he, he's not visited the troops yet because he says he's too busy. How many campaign rallies has he done? How many times has he played golf? Well, he's too busy to, to do the troops. Those, ra- those rallies are very important those for rallies his, are his, very important. his mental health. Yes. Shocked the monkey there. I, I fed them. I, I threw a softball right down the middle there. Yeah. Great. Great song. Great song. All right. Do you care about the World Series? Uh, sh- Do you know who's playing in the World Series? 
It's not. It's not. Is it? Wait. The red. It's not the Red Sox. Red Sox. Red yes. Sox and, red Sox and. Uh, I know it's. I knew it was the Red Sox, but and the Los Angeles the Dodgers. Dodgers. Dodger yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not watching the Dodgers, so they move back to Brooklyn. There we go. <clears throat> I I watched my I watched Game Seven. Yeah, I, I have not watched baseball. I hardly watch baseball anymore. But at any rate, so it's the it's the game. At least the networks wanted. Although you know, baseball has become extremely regional. I was listening to that. People, baseball is not really the national pastime, but there's still a lot of regional interest for it. Yeah, yeah, but not so much. It is. This is what I was thininging about. You know, in my discussion with the guys from Y Theory the other day, we brought this up that we were talking about that whole psychological concept of enjoyment and how basically, like, like football, part of the enjoyment of it is all the all the all the like deleterious health things and all the kind of like how bad it is for the players actually makes it more enjoyable in the psychological sense because there's a darkness to it it's a li- there's a blood you know like you know there's yeah, i mean it's kind of that's why they play in coliseums right but that's why baseball is it, it's not it's enjoyable there's like, not enough of it there's not enough of a dark side remember to well, the, the, the old george carlin episode baseball versus football no I oh, it's that. hilarious yeah he says in baseball you come home yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's very yeah. I just don't. It's not. It's not the kind of. It doesn't have the, that sort of psychological enjoyment to it. To the what same was, level. Oh, the, what was it? I heard uh, uh, Van Gundy, the one, uh, not the, not Stan. Yeah, maybe this Stan Van Gundy. They had him on Lebetard the other day, and like his worst football quotes of all time. And uh, the I think it was a coach for North Carolina football said well, one during his pep talk. He said to his players, he goes. What makes America great is football. A general once told me that because no other country plays football, and that's what makes our military great. <laughs> okay. that, on his list of dumbest things uh, of all time. Yeah. You know what the great thing is about our this country? If you don't like the programming on TV or on the radio or on a Facebook live stream, you can change the channel. Change the channel. Some of the people, some of the... People are not happy on Facebook right now. And so, so change the channel. Change the channel, man. I yeah, mean, we didn't really ask you to come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's okay. There's lots of stuff out I, there. And so, yeah, we can give you five for fighting right there. Five for fighting. Exactly. There we are. All right. Very good. So our topic of the day. Our is, topic of the day is the rich white civil war. Yeah, that's right. Let's talk about rich white people a little bit more. I that's love rich white. I love rich white uh, people. I've, 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 I love a few. Rich white people, you know, there's that. It's <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, they. I was going to say, there's not enough of them. There really aren't. I mean, there are really. It would be better if there were more rich people in this country, as opposed to like the. Well, they're 1. weaning. 1%. They're weaning out the the uh, the the the, the pseudo rich people. They're weeding those folks out. So they're <laughs> we're just getting the super rich now. Yeah, and the Powerball is up to a billion dollars or something. Yeah, yeah, but we're not going to get that. Do you know that? If you are the store that sells the winning ticket, oh, yeah. you're like one percent. We should be selling Powerball tickets out of the bunker. Just get a machine. How expensive could it be? We set up like have people come up to this little window. <laughs> what if we one percent's a lot? That is that we could. So there, it's there like we 10 go. Ten million bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. Lottery tickets, the taxation of the poor. That, why not? Yeah, yeah, we what? We, you know, it's funny about that though. Like, if we spent that much money on. Unlike uh, uh, if we spent that much money on healthcare, people would be crazed. But like, people spending it on the lottery yeah. is totally legit. Like, it's something about this country 
Love the loves the lot. By the way, that horn in the background is not Bill's the phone. and it's not the eschaton. That's not Bill's phone. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's not a the very... final trump. Nor are there fox hunts going on right now. No, that, that that's is your phone. my that is my phone. But why is it ringing? I oh. almost never switch from the standard ring uh-huh. of Apple. Almost never. All right. Very good. Although you know what my ring used to be. Uh, I used to have the Bill Murray line from Stripes. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. <laughs> that was my ring for a while. <laughs> oh, very I, nice. I, I loved it. That's a great movie. It was. It is a great movie. Great so movie. many people. Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, John Candy, Judge Reinhold. Like, there are a lot of... Uh, Dan... Uh, 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 Harry, uh, who's the guy from Night Court? Uh, Larroquette. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. John Larroquette. Yeah. So many people in that movie. What kind of training did you do... Soldier, Arby training. <laughs> I remember, you know, my friends were at like a high holy day in Cherry Hill, the synagogue, and and uh, the rabbi says, "You know, you guys, you who you who are more regularly observant, please help those who aren't around as much." And my buddy turns to his buddy and goes, "It's like stripes. Black guys help the white guys." <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. All right. So, David Brooks, you know, uh, I don't know where David Brooks's hope comes from. <laughs> being a rich white guy. Being a rich white guy. Must, 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 uh, uh, I have a friend who went to Princeton with him. Uh, but um, at any rate, the fact that he, <laughs> his optimism based on absolutely nothing. You know, the last, the last line in the article says he believes something is going to get better based on I don't know where that hope comes from. Maybe that's his uh, – his faith, I don't know, he's kind of come to a more serious view of uh, a very more serious faith and relationship with God. I, I think, he, has he become a Christian? I've heard. Yeah, we both have heard that. Yeah, we've heard that. Yeah. We so, hear things. So, we hear things. But uh, maybe, so maybe, 
it's like in those happy Christian days, those first days when you have hope. <laughs> it's so great. The happy Christian days. The happy Christian days. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's this article. Uh, break it down for us, Scott. Well, so David Brooks says that this is based on a group called it's Hidden Tribes US, and, and they've done a pretty sort of like a PRI type of deep demographic study on what are, you know, they call the hidden tribes. So Brooks basically says that the reason he says that, that the, there's this rich white civil war is that most of what we think about as the really tribal, alienating, polarized discourse in the country right now, according to the Hidden Tribes Project, really makes up about 14% of the sampling of the, of the population. So you have on the polar extremes, the progressive activists on the left, which are about 8% of America, and the devoted conservatives on the right. Those two groups on the polar opposites are the richest of all the groups. They're the whitest of the groups. They're the, they're the members in both groups that have the highest education levels, and they report the highest levels of sense of personal security. Right. So he basically says that we think of this as a populist moment. But he thinks that now that, that, that our polarization is primarily located in the spots of privilege, not the kind of forgotten Americans. Or, and so you know, he argues that, that, that tribalism is the fruit of this privilege, that people with more stresses in their lives necessarily pay less attention to politics sure. and new, the news cycles and stuff. Uh, and people like that have more discretionary time, I mean, it's Aristotle, right? That, that philosophy requires leisure. Right. They're much more likely to have ideology be central to their, their it, you know, their ideological identity be central to their broader sense of identity. And then, so this study identifies four other tribes as the sort of, I think they're called the, the, the exhausted uh, middle or something. And those, there's traditional liberals, uh, passive liberals, the politically disengaged, moderates, and traditional conservatives. So those five groups make up the, the, the other, right. in their, according to their research, the other 86% right. of the country. And so what's interesting is that Brooks points out that if you look at if you look at the the polar opposite the polar extremes the progressive uh, activists and the devoted conservatives that you get these sort of super super extremes so so 99% of devoted conservatives think immigration is bad while 99% of progressive activists think it's good 76% of devoted conservatives think Islam is more violent than other religions. Only 3% of progressive activists agree. 86% of devoted conservatives think it's more important for children to be well-behaved than creative. Only 13% of progressive activists believe that. Believe that. So he, he basically says that, says that, and then there's other things, like 91% of progressive activists say sexual harassment is common, while only 12% of devoted conservatives um, agree. So he kind of says that, you know, it's interesting that the the devoted conservatives subscribe to what he thinks is kind of Hobbesian narrative. It's a dangerous world. Like right. the Levi, you know, life is nasty, brutish and short. We need strict values and strong authority to keep us safe. And that the liberals, he thinks, su subscribe to a sort of dark and Rousseauian worldview where people may be inherently good, but the hierarchical st structures of society are awful. And these structures of inequality and oppression have to be dismantled. That's really interesting, the kind of well, Rousseau versus Hobbes here. Well, isn't that, doesn't it, I mean, isn't a lot of the history of, of politics and power, various elite groups actually fighting for power? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, so it's just a different version of that. Um, 
you know, one of the things I think that's 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 interesting in terms of of then who does each side kind of engage? You know, of that vast middle, who do they tap into? For instance, I now again, I, I mean, polling with an asterisk, but um, I what well, I don't know what day this is of the Trump presidency, but the accumulation of of the lies. It's one of the dark ones. Yeah. Anyway, but the fact is that his his approval rating is at forty five percent, highest it's ever been. I thought it was forty seven. Uh, I saw 45, but it could be. Anyway. And the NBC, uh, Washington. But then again, there's others that I always like to look at the real clear politics average. Yeah, it's but, probably but lower than So I'm saying in terms of what percentage of my guess is of that, you know, let's say the approval ratings are 45. My guess is the true Trumpian believer, that group is probably maybe half of it. You know, it might be half of it. But the rest of them are probably people who are making plenty of money off of this administration. I mean, it's the same kind of coalition. Like, and we and I were talking about this on the phone the other day. That you know, there is there is a danger of throwing around, you know, calling people Nazis and things like that. It it is helpful. I was listening to a podcast. Um, it's uh, off the BBC on the Rat Trail, and it, it's talking about chasing this one particular the story of this one particular Nazi down. And what was what was interesting was how the elites. Uh, societal elites uh, embraced Nazism in part in a very pragmatic way. It helped. It helped facilitate if you were in the, if you were making your money off the military-industrial complex, then it was good to make Germany great again. Um, if there were you, a lot of Americans that were admiring of the yeah. unemployment numbers and stuff, Hitler. You know, if, Hitler if, ran full on unemployment. Yeah, if you were, you know, if you were a traditionalist and you saw the danger. Of populist democracy after World War One, and frankly, democracy was dangerous. After you know the the kind of when the autumn or when the Austrian Hungarian Empire broke up, all the you know Poland and Ukraine, and there was all these you know all these countries were declaring war on each other. Uh, you know, as the breakup of the old uh, Austrian Hungarian Empire, nationalism and democracy and all you know and, and well, we shouldn't call it democracy, but nationalism and and popular movements. Uh, just continued to bloodshed. And so this anarchy uh, is not good for anyone. So the traditionalists who are looking for law and order, um, a semblance of protecting their privileged status, they um, they allowed people that were intellectually and morally inferior to them, culturally inferior to them, uh, although I wouldn't say they're morally inferior because they went in bed with them. But I think that's part of what's happened with Trump. Uh, people that are more sophisticated than him, more intelligent than him, are happy to you to to that's pro- such a small crowd <laughs> but people who actually dis- dislike him and despise him uh and and think he's a total uh joke and, and a lot of people like republicans who are sort of disaffected report hearing exactly this at, like fundraisers and stuff that exactly what you're saying i mean right. the, 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 this is not speculation no, this here. Is, this this is, is like people actually, a lot of people think this, that are giving big money. But part of the problem is we, we live in a generation, it's it's a problem in Europe, this, this uh, commentator on the BBC said, the trouble is everyone who knew what fascism could do and knew how it got there, those memories have died. And so that's why you have kind of a neo-fascism, you have it in Germany, you have it uh, in Hungary, you have it in Romania, uh, you, have, you have a very right-wing party, popular party in, in France, you have it going on in England. Part of this Brexit stuff was part of that. So, and I would argue that you have the same, you have a, a very dangerous right-wing person who could very well be elected, you know, president in, in Brazil. 
Yeah, John Oliver did a thing on that guy. That guy is absolutely insane. Yeah, he is insane. I mean, beyond the pale. Beyond like, the pale. But um, that guy makes Trump look like a stable genius. <laughs> but why did the Saudis maybe think they could get away with killing a journalist? Because the president of the United States at a rally last week you know, praised a guy who punched a journalist. Body slammed. Right. Body slammed. Body slammed. Trump, Trump simulated the body slam at the rally. So, yeah. So that's what. That was a totally different world. Totally different. That's what he said. But what if we called this project podcast Two Stable Geniuses? <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the idea is that you do have, I mean, the people who have access power. You know, like you said, you have to have leisure, you have to have resources. to, tr- And so for good or for ill, these sides are trying to uh, influence their influence culture. And they have – and the middle are the enablers. In other words, uh, if we've truly practiced a thoughtful democracy, they would not have as much power as we've given Well, well it's interesting. Yeah, Brooks thinks that the philosophical debate between the sort of – far far ends of the spectrum isn't new there's always sort of people in our history that think we need hierarchical structures to keep us safe and people who think that we need to be emancipated from oppressive structures you know that often hierarchies become so maybe emasculated as well right you know (laughs) but what brooks points out is what's weird is and scary is how cultish this has become the research asks a wide variety of questions on everything from child rearing to national anthem protests in many cases, 97 to 99% of progressive activists said one thing, and 93 to 95% of de- dedicated conservatives said the opposite. There's little evidence of individual thought, just cult conformity. No. The current situation really does begin to look like the religious wars that ripped through Europe after the invention of the printing press, except that our religion, religions now wear pagan political garb. Yeah. No, I, I remember one of the things I, uh, I grew up in very conservative, um, I grew up in the Alabama part of Pennsylvania. And um, very coming out of that kind of the early stages of the rise of the religious right, uh, moral majority and stuff. So when I got to Princeton Seminary, I was so I was so excited to be there. I was ready to. I really was looking forward to being exposed to open thinking and and you know just being open mindedness. And I remember somewhere it occurred to me like month three I was there, and again there was a lot of that. I'm very thankful for my education there. But somewhere along the line, like month three, I realized, why, why does this feel so familiar to me? <laughs> and, and I realized these guys are just these guys are just rednecks using big words, you know the 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 uh, ideology ideology. Uh, you know, it was just a different it was just a different end of the spectrum of the kind of closed minded knee jerk. Exactly what what uh, what Brooks describes there. I've I've experienced that. What Heath points out that is hopeful about this study, though, is... <laughs> Give us some hope. Exactly. I didn't, I didn't get it. The so. good news is that once you get outside the two elite groups, there's a lot more independent thinking and flexibility. Sure. This is not a 50-50 country, and that roughly two-thirds of Americans, two-thirds, that's a lot, yeah. uh, across four political types fall into what the authors call the exhausted majority. 61% in that say people say that say people they agree with need to listen and compromise more. 80% say political correctness is a problem, and 82% say the same thing about hate speech. So, I mean, so actually, like, the kind of reasoned discourse is actually, I mean, these people have much more reasonable 
opinions and 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 are more optimistic about compromise but he says that unfortunately people in the exhausted majority don't have a narrative they have no clear coherent philosophical worldview to organize their thinking and compel action when they get one i suspect it will look totally unlike the two dominant narratives these narratives are threat narratives but people who make positive change usually focus on gifts not deficits they tell stories about the assets we have and how we can use them together now i think that's interesting that you that you have so much more consensus when you look across about two thirds of the population that make up kind of the middle of of this of their spectrum and and the problem though right is like the resources are all allocated. You look at primaries. Who votes in the primaries? Right. Right. It's the polar ends. Right. Right. And then who gives who funds the primary council? So so it gets. It's just interesting that you have that you know you have a situation where a minority can polarize the country because. They have access to the resources to get the biggest right. bullhorn, the, big, the biggest megaphone, and to cater to the people that that are going to run for electoral office and and shape institutions and stuff. They need first those people on the on the far left and far right to kind of get into the establishment. Yeah, I mean, one of the things interesting, I, I think it would be, I, and I'm sure there has been a study, but just from my observation, how the the move of some of many parachurches and many parishes or churches and and evangelicals and mega churches towards the right. How much of that's involved with the donor bases? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, think, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think in terms of and uh, uh, and and that kind of. I mean, I actually, without mentioning names, <laughs> I know, I, I know, I know exactly this where some of this marriage between. Right wing politics and and uh, certain parachurch allegiances that you can you can trace it to the to the money, and uh, and I think probably the same thing if you look at you know liberal gadflies at liberal institutions. Why, for instance, you know for one of the good, you know where you know why would, why is it hard to be a Democrat and be pro life right now? Yeah, I mean yeah. I think that that shouldn't be the case. Uh, I am one, but um, you know the fact is that there's there's a there's a party line that doesn't. Really allow allow much room for that. There are pro life Democrats. So Bob Casey's one who's running for Senate in this country. His father was was a very outspoken. His father was you know a much more dynamic and better leader than he is. But um, yeah, I mean, so there's there's an example on the left where there's not really room for that. There's not really room. Yeah. Well, so, we maybe uh, we'll have more to say about this. By the way, a couple of things coming up. Again, we mentioned again, uh, we're looking for correspondence. For absolutely, the, we're looking for correspondence, and uh, we're approaching our 250 episodes. Yeah, uh, suggestions. Suggestions. We'll try to. We'll we'll take. We'll take. Uh, we won't listen to every suggestion we get, obviously, as we look at our feed here. But uh, we. <laughs> yeah. We will listen. So. Yeah, and hopefully, I bet, I bet you a lot of our listeners are in the exhausted majority. You know, I I I think I'm. I mean, exhausted. Bill's I'm not, just exhausted. I'm just. It's been a. It's been a really hard, busy week. Um, I, I. It's funny. I, I think I get. I get labeled. I, I've got. I get labeled as a liberal by conservatives, and I get la- labeled uh, conservative by liberals. But I. And so I, I. I would like to think of myself as a moderate, but I, I'm not. I'm not sure. That's. I find myself pushed to certain. Whatever's going on, I find myself to try to. To take a little bit of a stand somewhere to, for to work towards this more open-minded change. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Bye. Hey, listeners! Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then. 
Thanks for listening, and God bless.